My name is Deborah Alvarez. I'm the cinematographer, editor, and I just am honored to be up here. Um, I'm with Our Voices Project, and I'll be the moderator for tonight. Um, and I can't wait to hear from our panelists, so I'll introduce them. So here with us, we have, first, uh, Denise Esther. So she's a creative consultant, productivity coach with over 15 years of experience in time management, project and event management, and other creative services. Denise is an avid builder and pusher of community. She is the founder of Muse Company, creator of Inspire 365 Planner, host of She.Abides podcast, and co-author of Woman of Destiny, A Path to Greatness. Thank you for joining us, Denise. Why don't you give her a round? <laughs> and next up, we have Giovanni Santana. Um, Giovanni, <laughs> you can clap for him. Woo! <laughs> So Giovanni is an 18-year-old rising senior at School Without Walls. He's Hispanic, bilingual, and actively involved in the community. One of his greatest accomplishments was being the top seven finalist for the Princeton Prize in Race Relations. In addition to being involved in his community, he loves writing poetry and is in the process of publishing a book. Very impressive. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. And last but not least, we have Rosa Vargas uh, Cronin. She's a bilingual speech and language pathologist with Monroe One B-O-C-E-S. A wife and mother of two, she devotes her spare time to creating art and being involved in activism and awareness of marginalized communities. Her love for education drove Rosa to run and be elected for the West Aronicoit School Board. Woo, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Now, towards the end of the discussion, we'll give the audience time, uh, a chance actually to ask questions to the panelists. So if you have a question during the discussion, hold it. Um, we'll, you'll have an opportunity to ask later on. So let's get started. All right, guys, so the first question. Uh, so Miguel's mom was very adamant about him continuing baseball, even when he was struggling. Do you think his mom was putting too much pressure on him? And either one of you could chime in. Yeah, I can go first, lady first. Um, I don't personally think that she was putting too much pressure on him, even though he was struggling because he didn't tell her what was going on. And I think um, we seen when she was speaking to him and she said, this is what you've worked your whole life for. So I think as a mother, she was encouraging him to continue to follow his dream for what he had been working so hard for, what he had probably sacrificed a lot for. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I agree with Denise. Um, being from the Dominican Republic, I know growing up there, baseball was everything. and. And baseball, um, having a talent like pitching or when you saw a child with any kind of baseball talent, um, you definitely wanted to nurture it and make sure you got them into the baseball camps as soon as you could. So how we saw Miguel had been in the camp since he was 15. So it was not just his lifelong dream, but the entire family's lifelong dream. So yes, as a mother, I would you know, do anything for my kid to, to realize their dreams. I think that's what she wanted. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I kind of agree with them too. Um, like I said, I, I feel like it wouldn't be pressure, but um, I feel like at the same time, it kind of like not letting opportunity go um, and just kind of taking it all in. And same with Rosa. Um, Puerto Rico baseball is a big thing, um, and most of them play baseball. So I feel like just kind of of like not letting you know that mindset go and that opportunity slip away, you know, because most them most from them you know for where they come from don't get to that point, you know. So that's why I took it from. Yeah. I completely agree. Thank you for sharing, guys. Um, so, in the beginning of the film, Miguel is very disciplined with baseball, but is very self-critical. Um, even though he plays it off like he's the best player, um, he has a conversation with his girlfriend, telling her he wants to buy a Cadillac and um, take her in it and be more financially stable. Um, now, do you think baseball to Miguel at that point meant a lot to him personally, or was it just a ticket out? Um, for me, I, I, at times it kind of felt like it because um, he was kind of, I, I look at his kind of self-confidence, but at the time he kind of came off as cocky. Um, but I mean, it, it's not wrong to kind of, you know, want luxury things, especially when you come from poverty. But um, that's what I took. It's kind of a 50-50. Yeah, I agree. I think it was both. And, and I think it can be both. I think sometimes we try to segment it, but... Your, your dream and your passion can be what drives you to get out of whatever situation you're in. Um, so I think that was his motivation um, to keep going. I agree. Um, and, you know, it kind of reminds me of when you live in Dominican Republic and you haven't been to America yet, you know, you have all these, like, fantasies of, like, you know, they have flying cars and they have cars that you know, or boat cars that go over water. So um, it was it was interesting to kind of see that fantasy dream of his that, you know, what America really is. Yes, oh, for sure. It was very entertaining, but also like very insightful just to hear and see, experience, really experience what Miguel was experiencing. Um, so yeah, no, I, I love, love all the answers. <laughs> so let's see. Now, let's talk about culture shock. Um, what are some moments from the film where Miguel faces culture shock and that stood out to you? Well, for me, it was when um, they were in the hotel room and they had never seen a mini bar, never knew anything about pay-per-view channels. Um, that right there was like the, the beginning for me that they really didn't prepare him for what he was about to experience, um, which happens a lot. Um, so, um, and then when they went to the diner and everyone's kind of, you know, leaning on the one person that's been there for a while and then they just all ordered the French toast, right? So <laughs> that was a culture shock for him. The food is different. Um, I'm also from Puerto Rico. So, you know, everything is different when you've not experienced it before. So, you know, even when he says to his girlfriend, the food's really sweet here, right? Like, because that's all he had. So that was definitely a culture shock. Um, yeah, for me, it was the food and the diner part, and where, too, where he started playing baseball, one of the scenes where they lined up perfectly, and 
he was only the black one there and it was mostly white. Um, and when he said to his girlfriend too that, you know, they are really good, the baseball players and mostly from Dominican Republic, he was usually more the best one. So now where he's in a crowded where everyone's on the same level. So I feel like for that too was the food and just the experience of being on a being on a white person team was a culture shock for sure. I love the hotel scene when they when they first got there. Um, you know, with the hairdryer and, and the different foods. Um, and of course the friend had to come and tell them, you know, the lay of the land, okay, stay away from the mini fridge. Um, so that was very funny. Um, and definitely the language, you know, you saw the language barrier everywhere. Um, it was another funny part when he was interviewing and, you know, he had this really eloquent answer. And then the guy says, you know, he's been since he was 11, you know, playing. <laughs> so it was very, lots of little instances of culture shock, for sure. Yes, and one that actually just came up to mind was the scene with the coach after he had, you know, beaten that poor water, water diffuser, or I can't think of the word now, but, you know, like when he was talking with the coach and the coach, um, there was just such a disconnect. Um, what were you guys feeling during that scene? For me, um, having family that still is not fluent in English, um, it reminds me, you know, the importance of, of really learning um, the language because you're not always going to have someone there who's going to be able to translate or make sure that you're being um, taken care of. In that moment, he needed someone who could help take care of him, and he didn't have that. So for me, that was very um, personal, and it also made me, you know, feel like, I want to do more to make sure that when people are here and they don't know the language that I'm available to help. Absolutely. Um, for me, I took it as a frustration and I know how it is, especially with sports. Um, I play sports all my life. So it's like when you put yourself to the high standard and expectation and you know you can succeed and but you, you know, of course everyone has their ups and downs, um, especially coming off an injury. And I feel like it was more of a sense of like just trying to, take it all in and like let his emotions kind of control it, even the coach said it. Um, and even in life in general, we all gotta you know, be able to control our emotions because sometimes it might uh, cause an opportunity. Yeah, it was definitely frustrating um, to see that scene because you know, in a way I feel like um, Miguel felt belittled a little by the coach, but at the same time, um, you know, he didn't want to end up like his friend or he didn't want to be um, taken out of the team. So it, it, there's a lot that, that was going on in that scene, for sure. Yeah, and another question uh, that comes to mind, especially dealing specifically with racism, like we see American coaches rotate through many Dominican baseball players throughout the film. Um, Miguel at one point even says to his girlfriend about Jorge, like, they owe him something, another chance. Um, he worked too hard. I mean, he's not a horse. And I actually noticed that word horse was used a couple times. Um, now, do you think these players are treated like animals? Um, in a way, yes, because um, kind of, of like, if they have a time window, you know, if they don't you know, fulfill this potential in this time window, you're not gonna, you know, 
kind of how I look at that, how I kind of connect it with me, is kind of a, like standardized tests. You know, we take SATs, take school tests, a test uh, doesn't define a person's potential, doesn't define, you know, where they end up at. So I feel like at times, yeah, trying to treat them like animals or I don't know how to explain it, but hopefully I get what I'm trying to say. I saw that as well, like, you know, they do start them early in Dominican Republic, get them right into those camps, and you know there is like a window of their potential, their full potential. So it almost is like a the, that winning racehorse, you know. When when he first started, he was striking out all the time, but then you know there's going to be someone else that's trying to take your place, like the coach said, or um, and then Sal came and kind of did that. So it it was. Um, really hard for him, for sure, coming to that realization that he wasn't the prized horse anymore, right? Yes, do you have anything to add? Yeah, for me, um, I, I don't necessarily think that it was a race thing in that aspect because I do believe that the, all, all sports um, treat their players that way. They really have um, an expectation of them. What I did think, again, it was the language barrier. If he had had someone there to say, you're not gonna get traded because you have this injury, right? He only could lean on what he saw happen to his friend, and he got there towards the end of the recovery, so he didn't know what they had already done. He was just kind of leaning on his own understanding of what was happening. So again, I really feel that it's important to um, if you're bringing players and, and people to, to a country for your sport, that you s provide them all of the support that they need. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, speaking of uh, Miguel's friend, Sal, it is actually someone that Miguel stands up for in the beginning of the film. Uh, when some of his teammates make fun of him, you know, like, oh, you're eating so much, slow down. Um, though when Miguel sees him again in America, you can tell he instantly feels connected uh, to a sense of community like he did back home. Um, so when Sal starts to excel and become better and better and Miguel starts to face one challenge after another, you can sense some tension and possibly jealousy from Miguel. Um, so when it comes time to head to the bus to the next big game of the season, Miguel totally addresses Sal coldly and leaves the bus to head to New York. Um, do you think Miguel sees Sal as what he could have been if he had tried harder? Uh, what do you think baseball means to Miguel versus Sal at that point? Very loaded, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think he feels, Miguel felt really defeated at that point, um, especially knowing that, I don't know if he understood, like you said, when the coach was telling him that he was gonna do relief pitching and and then coming into that reality and having to live through it, he really felt like that's not what he came to America for. That's not what he, um, you know, did all of this for during his life to to get to this point. Um, so that was an interesting scene on the bus because, you know, in a way he was cold towards Sal, but then, um, you know, Sal kind of understood what what he was. What, he, what his intention was, what he wanted to um, go ahead and do for himself. So it was also sad, because he kind of like waved him goodbye, you know, sent him off. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, yeah, kind of what uh, Rosa said. I feel like he felt defeated as he walked away, you know, slowly. Um, and we all do it now. How I took it was of a, like, you know, we all start, you know, comparing ourselves to other people, you know, and we, and we do it now with social media. And we, we start to, you know, in our minds, you know, judge our guts, judge ourselves against a competition we made up in our minds. Um, and it's just a mind game. And I feel like, yeah, kind of what she said, everything. But for sure, he started judging himself and he started, you know, kind of doubting himself. And, and that just what took him to where he, where he got. Yeah, I agree. At that point, it was just frustration. It wasn't geared towards his friend. It was just towards the situation and where he was. Um, and I think um, him waving, you know, like Sal waving, kind of gave him the okay. Like, I get it. We're good. You know, because I think for Miguel, the writing was on the wall already. So he had just come to the decision that this wasn't what he wanted anymore. Or maybe it was... I want it to be ended on my terms, not on somebody else's. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see, like, people, I mean, even Osvaldo, he was asking Miguel at one point, like, you know, why did you leave? Like, what was the reason? We don't really know the reason <laughs> that he left, which is so interesting. Um, I mean, we can kind of maybe guess or, you know, how he was feeling or what the reason was, but. What were you were you guys expecting a reason? Just something I was thinking. I kind of was in that scene. I was waiting. I'm like, is he gonna answer? Um, but maybe he didn't even know himself. You know, maybe it was just the feeling of, you know, this this is not the dream that I dream. You know, and and he wanted to, like Denise said, make it on his own terms. Um, yeah, kind of, yeah, what, what Rosa said, and I felt like he wanted to start from scratch and just start from the bare bottom and just kind of, okay, where am I at, and just go from there. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my answer. All right. Nothing. Yeah, I, w I was just kind of thinking about that question a little more. I think um, if you noticed, he started looking in the stands to the Higgins, even in the game. And I think that internally he was thinking about, I've already let so many people down. Um, you know, he, he took on his family stuff. And then when he got there, even the scene at the table when he apologized. So I think he, he really didn't know why he didn't want to play the game anymore, but he knew he didn't want to let people down. So I feel like that played a role, a part in why he left. Yeah, no, it's all great perspectives. Thank you for sharing. Um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about Osvaldo because he's quite a character in the film and um, just love like the banter that they have, especially about the baseball players and the scene that, you know, they're all having a meal and just really, it just seems like family, you know? Um, now, he becomes a very, Osvaldo becomes a very important father figure in Miguel's life uh, towards the end of the film. Now, Miguel only mentions his father during, you know, a dinner with his host family, and when Osvaldo talks about his love for carp, and, and with Osvaldo, um, Miguel talks about, you know, his love for carpentry and how his influence came from his dad. Um, 
Now, what really tugged on my heart, and I hope, you know, I wonder how you guys felt about that, but when Miguel basically comes to Osvaldo and is like, I have nowhere to go, um, that, you know, you could just feel, sense the heartbreak, um, but sense that, like, he's, you know, he's reaching for that connection. Um, And that's when Osvaldo really steps up to become family, invites him for dinner. So if, if Osvaldo had been in Miguel's life earlier in the film, do you think that would have helped Miguel overcome the challenges that he faced? Um, I would say yes, because especially, um, I don't know, I feel like in the movie you've you seen the sense, like it felt like it was just straight a family connection. Um, and when he was in Iowa um, with the Higgins, you know, it, it was like, yeah, it was there, but it was mostly just about baseball. He had like a real connection one-on-one with him. Um, and then that's why I feel like, especially at that time, having like a real father figure that knows Spanish and they could connect with him and kind of keep him on his toes and, you know, hold him accountable, um, for sure, he would have played a bigger role and he probably would have made it to the big leagues. Who knows? But for sure, just that father figure. I agree. Yeah, he definitely needed somebody to look out for him and, and he really didn't towards the beginning. Um, I've heard actually a few stories of friends that have gone through, like Iowa, they go to Idaho, Iowa, they go to these um, homes, um, host homes where they kind of travel with the teams. And it's really interesting, the stories of of the things that they go through. But um, definitely in that beginning part of the experience, if you would have had some support of any kind, even just with translating and with language, it, it would have really helped him out a lot. I agree. Yeah, I agree also. And I think we all want to feel like we belong somewhere and that we um, have people that are supporting us and in our corner um, and people who get it. And I think, you know, um, as much as the Higgins were supporting him and trying to help him, they were from totally two different worlds. So I think having someone, um, regardless of whether or not they were for the, from the same country, they, they had a common, um, a common thread in speaking a different language and being somewhere that was different from where they were from. Yeah, no, you really see the camaraderie just between all the Dominican baseball, and just even like from Venezuela, like Colombia, I think there was like Puerto Rico, all different kinds of places, but yet they connected through that language, like you said, Denise, like I really um, sense that, and it was amazing to see on the film. Um, And Miguel connects more so, I mean, obviously with other Spanish speakers, and um, Jorge, his friend, uh, told Miguel at some point that it's the same game we played back at home. Do you think that's true for Miguel? Uh, Do you think that different cultures have a different sense of the word? Do you think different cultures have a different sense of what the word team means to them? Um... Ooh, that's a good question. Um, but I feel like, no, it depends a person. Um, it doesn't have to do anything with different cultures. It just, it's just up to you. Um, but for sure, it was more of like, if you look at all, even all the grades, you know, is they, you know, if you kind of put in that work alone, kind of just block the whole audience and just pretend like, you know, you playing by yourself, kind of like that's just a rhythm. You know, it might just be a bigger stage, but 
is the same game you play. So just kind of stay locked in, stay focused, um, and it just depends on the person. I feel like it, it wouldn't be the culture. I think it was good advice, but I think at that point it wasn't the same game because there was a lot riding on him making it. Um, so I think for him it, it wasn't the same game anymore. Um, but he was a very social person, so I think he did well. Like you see him even getting the job and immediately, you know, making friends and, you know, even the delivery people were, so he was already social. So I think he would be okay wherever he was if he didn't have some of those barriers that he had. Yeah, I think um, it was really interesting to see like all his different transitions like throughout the movie because in Dominican Republic, he's like the dominant pitcher and, you know, he's the golden boy. Um, but then when he comes to the States, it, it's the same game, but definitely a different arena yeah. and all the pressure and you just see all that pressure on his first game um, out. And it, de it definitely did help him, Horahead telling him that. And it kept, that message kept going even towards that last game that they were playing. Um, you know, he said again, you know, it's the same game, but a, a different place. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, I just want to thank you guys again for discussing like some really amazing topics, themes, like there was so much happening in this film. Um, but we're actually going to take some time now to, you know, offer, you know, the audience, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to come up. There's two mics on each side of the lane here, so you can come up and uh, ask your question into the mics. Um, yeah. Does anyone have any questions? Hi, um, thanks for coming. Uh, really appreciate you guys talking about it. Um, I think, Rosa, you mentioned that you had some friends who experienced uh, something similar or had that same culture so shock. I was just wondering if you could speak about that a little bit more. Yeah, so um, actually growing up, I grew up very close to Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. Um, so a lot, we had whenever there was anyone from the neighborhood um, from the Dominican Republic that would come to the States, we, you know, it was like the message would go out, like this person's here and we would try to nurture them and cater to them. And it was mostly just, um, you know, helping them out with the language barrier, helping them out, you know, getting healthcare or even a place to stay. Um, they did have host families, but they, it was like, like we saw in the movie, very basic needs. You know, you got food and board and, you know, no girls, no, <laughs> all of that. It was very similar. Um, but yeah, it definitely showed me the, the importance of having that, that support, especially when you first come um, to the States because it is very much a sink or swim situation. Um, and for those host families, the most important thing was for that player to become the best that they could. Um, and they did everything they could to try to do that. But, um, you know, all the other social emotional supports usually weren't there. So, yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, did anyone else want to, or, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you were talking about uh, some of the transitions that he went through. Could you talk about uh, when he 
went to New York and he was looking for anything to to do the dignity of work that really got to me that um you know how did that speak to you in terms of you know you said he was you know the golden boy now he's trying to discover himself how did that strike you yes um he it, it was really interesting that that they put the fact that like no matter where he was financially when he came to the States, he would make sure he put that money home, you know, that he put that money in whenever he could to, um, to give back money to, their, to his family. Um, and when we came to America, that's something my parents did every weekend. They would send money home. Um, and I think that really pushed him a lot, um, that um, constant knowledge that he had to support, you know, his family back home. He was, I think that was driving him more, you know, to get a job, to, to get anything, to sleep wherever he could, just so he could have enough money to send home. I think that was really his motivation. Um, for that question, for me, uh, I feel like back then, I, I honestly, I feel like he didn't was able to be on his own and kind of figure out himself. Cause back then, when he was in Dominican Republic, it was just straight about baseball, baseball, baseball. Um, so he just kind of got to be alone and kind of start from you know from the bottom and work his way to the top. And and I could relate to that, cause you know that that got installed in me as a kid. You know, from um to you know you have to start from the bottom and you know work the way to your top. And you know just hard work. You know nothing in life is gonna get handed to you. So, for sure. Yeah, and I think because he already had the discipline, it made it easy for him to say, this is what I have to do and do it, um, especially when he knew that no money home, some money home is better than no money home. So, um, I think, you know, he already had the discipline, and like he said, you know, starting from the bottom was not something he was scared of, so. Good question. So there was a commentary already about um, different concepts of teamwork among cultures, but one of the things that I thought was interesting is the way ball players are viewed in the Dominican versus in the States. So in the Dominican, when Miguel's there, <coughs> he's respected, he's loved, he's a, his, his family loves him, admires him, he's admired, he's, and then he gets to the States and it's very competitive and he's talking about how he's not the best anymore, everybody's really good. But I also, you also see a, a lot of objectification when you get to America. So then you see the role of this granddaughter. And I wondered what you all thought about her role in the film, because to me, it seemed very much like she, her grandparents really didn't, to me, seem to be showing um, elements of white saviorism. I think they were really like focused on the ball game, like you're here for the game and we're gonna keep you going for the game. But like the granddaughter to me, he was a curiosity. She was gonna save him. There were things, you know, there were things about it like that were really unsettling. And I was wondering what your thoughts were about her role in the film and what we were, what we were supposed to be taken away from that because the fans were certainly objectifying him. The, the, the coaches were objectifying him. The Higgins were objectifying him to a certain degree around the game, but then you have this element of the white girl, which is brought up multiple times in the movie. So I was just curious about your thoughts. Um, for that, I felt like she, 
even them, I feel like the, the Higgins family, they wanted, they, you know, they kind of brought him for, for baseball, you know? So even they, they you know, they kind of talked to him a little more about him, you know, actually personal, but, you know, same, the same thing, which is surrounded by baseball. With her, she was actually curious, you know? She wanted to get to know him for him, not just as his baseball player. Um, so I feel like for him, it kind of felt at least comforting to have at least that one person that actually wants to get to know him for him and kind of actually build a bond with, you know, on a personal level. So I feel like she played a big role um, that maybe a lot of people will, will let it pass by. Yeah, I agree that the intrigue for him was that she really did show an interest. Um, from her standpoint, I do believe that there was some, um, I wanna, I want to be the reason that he knows God so that I can say, you know, he came here and he didn't know, but now he knows because of me and my group. And, um, but I think that's the age group that they're in, right? They're in their 20s and that's where you kind of, you're exploring and you're figuring out people that you come in contact with and who you are. And so I think she was trying to figure out who she was also. So I feel like it was, for both of them, it was just this thing of trying to get to know each other and see what they could learn from each other. Yeah. Um, for some reason, her, her character always made me really nervous whenever she came on. I was like, yeah. oh, God. That, too. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think there was definitely a lot of white, you know, savior there from coming from her. Um, but yeah, I'm just glad that you know no, nothing happened there, and you know he was able to focus. Yeah, <laughs> on <his> baseball. <laughs> I know Miguel's telling his friend, "Oh, don't give the first baseball to your, you know, the first white girl." <laughs> that was really funny. So yeah, um, any other questions? Yes. There was a point in the film where Miguel was talking to his mom, and this is when he decided that he wasn't going to play baseball anymore. And his mom was like, well, yeah, your little brother's playing now, and he's, he's joining the league, and he's really good. And it made me start thinking about, one, that baseball really is a legacy. But two, it made me start thinking about the fact that big industries like baseball can be, or major league baseball, or any major league sport, can be very exploitive. So, and thinking about the age of his brother, what do you think or how do you think industries like baseball, basketball, any of them should be held accountable for, um, for the youth that come up? Because in this instance, I think his brother was probably no longer, no younger or older than 12 or 13. So what ways could Major League Baseball be accountable for protecting youth and what other protections or precautions would you propose? that would help youth coming up in this field? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, knowing the culture, um, like, I, you know, like I said, I'm Puerto Rican and baseball is huge. Um, so I don't know that there's anything that the leagues could do that would keep the parents from making that a priority. Um, because you want your kids to have what you didn't, even if it's, sometimes to the detriment of, of their characters when you're in a situation of poverty and that is your ticket out sometimes. Um, and so 
you know, even if they were to say, okay, well, we're not taking anyone who is under the age of 16 for any of our camps or anything, they would still have them practicing before they got to that age. So I, I don't know that there is anything that the leagues could do um, to keep that from happening because I think the parents are, are pushing their children at an early age, you know, to get up, to practice, to be better, you know. Um, so I don't really know that there is anything they can do at this point other than setting some, some age parameters around the camps that they run. But again, that's not going to stop the parents from pushing them. Yeah, same with that. Um, and I feel like at times, too, especially when the sport's so big and, and when you're in poverty, um, most of us as young, you know, at young age say, oh, I want to be an NFL player, NBA player. And it's like because that's the quickest thing that everyone seems to, you know, make the big ticket out. And, and then they, they, you know, devote their life to that goal and they might come up short and then they might think they're a failure. Um, and everyone just like, I don't know, tries to get this big goal and obviously, you know, some, some of them use it as a big ticket hour. Some people actually really enjoy the sport. Um, but for sure, parents always try to push their kids. Um, and I feel like the league, yeah, kind of what you said, I feel like they can't really do nothing about it, but it's just the intensity of the game, um, in my opinion. I agree. It's It would have to be like a complete um, systemic change um, the way even because it is almost like a little a puppy mill you know it's like they get them really early they set them up they if they do make it to the states to get on a team you know you only have like a year of playing of that other season um, and then when you're done you know I don't know, I don't know if you guys remember in the movie when they're still in Dominican Republic they're uh, they're near the beach and um, playing dominoes, and one of his friends was like, "Oh, I play, you know, I pitched 98," mm -hmm. and you know, and then he's like, "Well, I see you in the corner selling cell phone covers now." Um, so, you know, it has to that whole aspect of it has to change as well. You know, making baseball the meal ticket. Mm -hmm. We have to, you know, make our, our community and center cultures more well-rounded. So it, that's not the case. So we don't have to go through so much to make it to baseball because that's the only way out. And then, you know, when he was talking to his mom at the end, um, he, he got really sad because his sister's in the factory working as well. So, you know, there's either... It's that, it's you know, trying to get out of poverty and really making your way <coughs> out of poverty. Absolutely. <coughs> yeah. Oh, we have another question? I actually had a, a question on, about the family, <coughs> the host family. So when he first got there, obviously there was rules and stuff, but they kind of, in in my eyes, they treated him as if like he wasn't a person in a sense, because they were like explaining stuff to him in English, and then they were like explaining it again, and explaining it again, and explaining it again, hoping for like a different outcome. But I feel like he got the message through. Um, in my opinion, like that kind of frustrated me. So I was just wondering, like, how do you think he felt during that scene? 
I don't know. I don't know that he was frustrated because I think he was actually trying to understand what they were saying. You know, like she said, oh, whatever you want, just put it on the grocery list. And he was kind of like, what does that even mean? Right? Like, so I think for him, it was, again, that language barrier. It was frustrating for me because you do have someone you know doesn't speak English. Like the coaches knew when they brought him. So there was no nothing in place for him to really help him and protect him and and you know help him develop in other than baseball. Um, so that's where my frustration came in. Um, they were doing you know what they had done in the past with other players, you know, because they said, oh, we had this player and we had that player. Um, so they knew some words. You could tell she was trying to, you know, say some words um, to him. So she was even trying, right? She knew this is a barrier, so I need to try to learn some words to get him to understand, you know, no matter how how chopped up they are, right? Like El Baño and, you know, like Cuarto or what, when she was trying to say Cuarto, which is room, bedroom, you know, um, but she was trying. So I think that's where my frustration came in, that they brought him there knowing these barriers were there before he got there. Uh, yeah, same. I felt like he was actually trying to, you know, challenge himself to figure out more. Um, but I felt like he, you know, he kind of understood because when they said about the 10, you know, the yeah. be quiet at the 10, he kind of just said it in English, like, I understood you. But certain things for me, I feel like maybe he would have laughed in his head when, you know, she was trying to pronounce it wrong because I personally laugh, you know, but I like it. You know, she was trying. Right. Um, but for sure, I feel like he kind of wanted to understood and keep learning more English. Um, so, yeah. It is. It was kind of like his first step at, at assimilation, right? So... They um, they wanted to give him all those rules and make sure he understood. And yeah, it was kind of like they were speaking to a child. But yeah, he was he probably got like ten percent of all of that that they were telling him. I, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> all right. Well, um, any last questions before we close? All right. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for joining um, this amazing panel. Um, I just want to first give a round, have us give a round of applause for them. They did amazing and loved hearing from them. <laughs> um, another round of applause for Matt Dieterk. Uh Where is he? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, give applause to him, the Little Theater staff, their amazing partnership. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, make sure to grab an info sheet uh, from our table in the lobby. While you're there, uh, sign up for our mailing list and find us on social media so that you can get all of the latest updates about our upcoming projects, events, uh, podcasts, student coalition, and ways you can support us. Uh, so thank you again, everyone, and have a great night. <laughs>